Introducing the new Poloniex trading system, now with 30 times faster order matching, 10 times faster transactions, an enhanced user interface, and even more comprehensive features. Trade like a pro on Poloniex. For more information, visit poloniex.com now. Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash The Scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Hey, Scoop listeners, I'm Ashlyn Keeley. I cover regulation and policy for The Block, and I'm on the mic this week to give you an overview of the latest in the battle for a spot Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. The Securities and Exchange Commission has long refused to grant the green light to a Bitcoin ETF. Issuers have been in a cycle of filing, waiting out a long comment period full of extensions, and ultimately receiving waves of rejections for years. That is, until October of last year, when a futures-based Bitcoin ETF received the green light to trade under Chair Gary Gensler. Many hoped that this might open the door for a spot product to trade, since futures are priced based on the spot market. However, that hasn't become the case. The Commission has continued to deny spot Bitcoin ETFs on the grounds that there isn't sufficient market surveillance in the spot market. Grayscale, which has long sought to convert its flagship GBTC product into a Bitcoin ETF, took issue with this. In the lead-up to a decision on its conversion application, it publicized letters saying the SEC may be violating its own process by approving futures products, but denying spot ones. When it ultimately received its own rejection, it took that argument to the courts. Now, it's in the process of mounting a legal challenge in the DC Court of Appeals. I sat down with the firm's head of legal, Craig Somm, to talk about how the Bitcoin ETF conversion reached an impasse and how the firm is building its case. Craig Som is chief legal officer at Grayscale. He acts as in-house counsel and is the lead on coordinating outside counsel for the case. Let's start with a primer, Craig. On what basis was the conversion rejected? Yeah, so this conversion has a long history that precedes it. I'll give you a, a brief rundown, a brief enough, even though it takes place over the course of, of many years. So back in 2013, we had the first Bitcoin ETF application filed. That was filed by the Wungelboss twins at Gemini. And as you can imagine, Bitcoin in 2013 was very different from Bitcoin today in terms of 
technological development, in terms of market trading, in terms of custody and all the different institutions that are now involved. So we weren't quite ready back then for a Bitcoin ETF to be approved. Fast forward a couple of years into 2016, where I would say you had the true first wave of Bitcoin ETF applicants. And that included Grayscale, included several other firms. And importantly, you had two different types of Bitcoin ETF applications back then. You had ones that would hold actual Bitcoin or spot Bitcoin, which is what Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, uh, ticker symbol GBTC, holds today and would hold as an ETF. And then you had another type of Bitcoin ETF that holds a derivative of Bitcoin or Bitcoin futures. And back then, both types of ETFs were denied or the issuers for ETFs were told to withdraw their applications for reasons cited by the SEC based in the potential for fraud or manipulation in the underlying spot Bitcoin markets. And if that's the concern, then it makes complete sense why the SEC would deny or not be comfortable with both types of ETFs because both types, whether spot Bitcoin or Bitcoin futures, are priced based on the same underlying spot Bitcoin markets. So taking Grayscale, for instance, our fund is priced based on the Coindesk XBX index, which itself derives its pricing from several spot Bitcoin exchanges. Similarly, a type of Bitcoin futures, which is what would be in these ETFs, the CME Bitcoin futures, also has pricing that references spot Bitcoin exchanges. So that's exchanges like Coinbase and Gemini and Bitstamp and so on. So again, it makes sense to treat those two types of products the same. That was 2016 into 2017. Several years went by, you know, Grayscale went back to managing our business. Our Bitcoin fund became larger, more available to different types of investors. Fast forwarding to 2021, we had a new chair of the SEC who came in and started expressing some openness to Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin ETFs. However, provided that those ETFs will only hold that one type of, of Bitcoin product, Bitcoin futures or the CME Bitcoin futures. And that was interesting to us because one, it's exciting to hear this progress within the SEC over Bitcoin, but somewhat confusing because again, if you recall what the, the main point of concern had been with the underlying spot Bitcoin markets, how can we all of a sudden be okay with Bitcoin futures while also not be okay with spot Bitcoin? So that happened. We were waiting to see what would come of it. And last October, we actually saw the first Bitcoin ETF start trading that held Bitcoin futures. So the fact that we now have this definitive proof that the commission is now comfortable with this type of Bitcoin ETF product, on that same day, Grayscale refiled our application to convert GBTC into an ETF. And that day was really important, that, that simultaneous filing, because of the definitive proof that we have that the commission was now okay with Bitcoin. What that did was open up this 240-day open comment letter period where the SEC invited the public in to submit their own thoughts on why they believe or don't believe the SEC should approve spot Bitcoin ETFs like what GBTC would be. Knowing that, Grayscale always wanted to be very informative and educational for our community. We created a public campaign on our website in train stations from Penn Station in New York to Union Station in DC to really activate our investor base to let them know they can be a part of this process. 
through that campaign, we actually saw a record-breaking 11.5 thousand common letters submitted to the SEC. You know, 99 plus percent of them were all positive and in favor of the SEC approving our application. And through those letters, we started to see a couple of different themes arise. One was this theme around investor protection. So we have GBDC today. It's the world's largest publicly traded Bitcoin fund, has you know upward of $20 billion of AUM today, trades tens to hundreds of millions of dollars in daily trading volume, represents 800 plus thousand investors. However, because it's not an ETF today, it's not able to as efficiently track the value of its Bitcoin in the fund. And today it's trading at about a 30% discount. So with a $20 billion AUM fund, that represents almost $7 billion of value that's being kept from investors. So what a lot of these commenters were saying was, we're already in this fund. If it converts to an ETF, it'll allow this value to be realized by us. How are we, the investor, being protected by not allowing Grayscale to convert GPTC into an ETF? So this very straightforward investor protection argument. The second argument we started to see was around U.S. competitiveness within crypto. So you had the White House executive order from earlier this year. What better way to reflect our commitment to allowing this innovation to thrive than by allowing Bitcoin further into the regulatory perimeter through products like a spot Bitcoin TF? And then the third argument, which is really the crux of what our legal argument has become, is the SEC has approved Bitcoin futures, but denied spot Bitcoin. You have two like investment vehicles that previously were being treated the same that are now being treated disparately. And under one regulation called the Administrative Procedure Act or the APA, which you can think of as really the regulation that governs how regulators govern, you're not allowed to do things like that that are arbitrary and capricious. So that's one argument that we're making. The other is under the Exchange Act, which doesn't allow regulators to discriminate against issuers absent a justifiable reason to do so. So this legal argument was starting to be developed over the course of our common letter period. What that resulted in was two different letters from our lawyers at Davis Polk laying out these arguments for what eventually would become the petition for review that we filed because ultimately our application was denied by the SEC after that 240-day review period. So that's where we are today. What it boils down to, as I mentioned, is you have two like investment products, Bitcoin futures, Bitcoin spot, because they're priced based on the same underlying spot Bitcoin markets. If you're okay with one, you should be okay with the other. Right. So I want to push on this idea. The main pushback that I've heard from people who are perhaps trying to find a reason for why the SEC would do this is futures trade on a federally regulated exchange. So there is direct oversight there. And even though I understand this argument that if you're comfortable with futures, you must be comfortable with the underlying asset, Mm -hmm. there is that lack of trading on an exchange that has these surveillance agreements. So what might you say to that? Is there any credence to that argument? I think it's helpful to walk through the SEC's evolution over these products to understand where we're coming from and how we're trying to get to a reasonable place with the SEC. So for October last year, you had both futures and spot being denied, being treated consistently. Then we had the first Bitcoin futures ETF start trading that was registered under the Investment Company Act of 1940. That's important to point out because in contrast to what all spot Bitcoin TFs like GBTC would be, those products would not be regulated under the 40 Act, but rather the Securities Act of 1933, just a different 
securities regulation. And last October, the SEC was pointing to that distinction regulation, the 40 Act versus the 33 Act, as being the reason for treating those two products differently. We argued, along with Davis Polk, that those are really distinctions without a difference. Because if you look at the 40 Act, what that does is regulate things at the fund level, not at the underlying assets or the markets where they trade level. So for instance, the 40 Act requires certain types of accounting, restrictions on borrowing, requirements around custody, board independence, lack of conflicts. Those are all things that a non 40 Act fund can voluntarily do and often doesn't really apply. You know, taking GPTC, for instance, we have audited financial statements. We don't allow any relending of the Bitcoin in our fund. We rely on a qualified custodian to custody our Bitcoin. So all those things are already there. So really a distinction without a difference. The other distinction that was being pointed out was this difference between CME Bitcoin futures, which trade on a CFTC regulated exchange in comparison to spot Bitcoin, which doesn't trade on a CFTC or at least direct oversight by the CFTC. However, again, we would argue that those are distinctions without a difference because the CME, despite being regulated by the CFTC, is still price based on the underlying spot Bitcoin markets, which the CFTC does not have that surveillance over. So another distinction without a difference. Nonetheless, that 40 Act versus 33 Act was still a you know an argument that was being made. However, earlier this year, another type of Bitcoin futures ETF was approved, which was one that's regulated not under the 40 Act, but like other spot ETFs, the 33 Act. So now you can no longer rely on this 40 Act versus non 40 Act argument. And what the SEC was stating was that because of this, as you mentioned, surveillance of the CME, that's why it's able to draw this distinction. But I would still go again to the fact that that surveillance does not penetrate through CME into the spot Bitcoin markets. So at least to the extent that you're not comfortable with spot Bitcoin, it shouldn't allow you to approve one type of ETF and not the other. I think you go to things like what does surveillance do and, and why is the commission asking for these surveillance sharing agreements over the spot exchanges? It would do things like detect or prevent fraud or manipulation, but that surveillance for CME doesn't really apply given that they are being priced based on the underlying spot Bitcoin markets. I would also say that everyone in crypto is in favor of more oversight, more regulation, more investor protections. But at least in the context of Bitcoin TF approvals, that's not a requirement. You can also look to other commodity ETFs, gold, platinum, palladium, even credit market ETFs. Those are ETFs where the underlyings are not directly regulated by the CFTC or even the SEC. So I think that's another good analogy to draw. Right. And so with all that in mind, why is now the moment for a legal complaint, a legal action here? Are we at a juncture where you know, this can't be hammered out in those closed door conversations that tend to occur when people are filing. Right. And yeah, that's why it was you know important to really get into this years long process of engagement we've had with regulators to try to get GBDC converted into an ETF. It wasn't a decision that we made lightly. And during the course of that common later period, we had a couple of meetings with the commission to try to work through their questions and the issues presented, lay out the arguments and reasoning why we felt that if they were okay with futures, they should now be okay with spot. It seemed like a natural progression and we were excited by the level of development that we were seeing in the Bitcoin futures markets. 
ultimately we got to a point where we just reached a disagreement. The type of lawsuit that this is, it's not like there's any sort of ill will or anything. It's just a respectful misunderstanding and, and disagreement that we have with decision makers at the SEC. I have nothing but respect for the staff that have been there working through the difficulties that crypto presents, let alone Bitcoin TFs, you know, they're looking at a lot of different issues and their level of education and understanding of the space has really impressively evolved, especially for a regulator. But ultimately, we just weren't able to get there on this particular issue. And we were at a point where we could either have done nothing, continued to manage GBTC as is, as this vehicle that's not quite an ETF, that is not trading in line with NAV and is trading at a discount, is not able to trade on national securities exchange or be registered with the SEC under the Securities Act. We didn't feel that our investors deserve that and they definitely want this conversion to happen. Just look at all the common letters that came in. So doing nothing wasn't an option. Because of you know the US democracy, we have checks and balances where we could have appealed to Congress, let's say, and sought to have the Securities Act amended in such a way that would clearly allow for a Bitcoin ETF to be approved. And that comes with its own level of uncertainty. And we certainly are very engaged in DC along with other crypto market participants and trade associations like Blockchain Association and Coin Center and Adam and so on. So those efforts are taking place. And then the other alternative was we could appeal to the judicial system and see if they'll interpret the regulations the way that we believe they should be. And for our investors, that just was the best option available. And so that's why we felt the best route was to challenge the SEC's decision through this petition for review. And Grayscale isn't the first to sort of reach this impasse with the SEC. There are a load of companies who you know, received rejections after that futures ETF approval came down. Why do you think this is the first meaningful pushback? I think we're in a unique position in contrast to other spot Bitcoin ETF applicants. Nothing but respect for other firms in the US and crypto that are trying, like us, to bring more access and exposure to this asset class to US investors. However, the big distinction is that all of those firms were applicants with ideas on paper, whereas Grayscale has an actual product today that we're looking to convert into an ETF. And that product has AUM, trading volume. As I mentioned, you know, when we did our last study for this application, we had over 850,000 US accounts. And those accounts might represent more than one investor to the extent it's an RIA or a financial advisor or another type of vehicle. So we have actual investors behind this product who really want this conversion to happen. So I think that just puts us in a different posture in terms of facing the ultimate denial that we received. And that's why we felt that it was important to our investor base to really take this additional action. Introducing the new Poloniex trading system with 30 times faster order matching, 10 times faster transactions, an enhanced user interface, and even more comprehensive features. Trade Bitcoin, Ethereum, and over 30 other perpetual swap contracts with up to 100x leverage on Poloniex futures and earn staking rewards on a variety of tokens. Trade like a pro on Poloniex. For more information, visit poloniex.com now. 
Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. I want to go back to this legal challenge and I want to talk about, you know, what is the hopeful outcome here? You know, let's say everything goes right. <laughs> what do you get? How closer are we to a Bitcoin ETF? What does winning look like? Yeah. So what winning would look like, and I'll get into the, the posture within the judicial system that's ongoing right now, but winning would result in the court saying SEC can no longer deny grayscales conversion of GPTC to a spot Bitcoin TF on the basis that it has cited in the disapproval order, which is around a lack of surveillance on the underlying spot markets and the product being susceptible to things like fraud and manipulation. And we believe that the court should be able to get there because of the fact that we now have Bitcoin futures ETFs start trading both under the 40 Act and the 33 Act. And so to the extent that any previous fraud and manipulation was a reason to deny a spot Bitcoin ETF, that's no longer a justifiable reason once you had approval of those two types of Bitcoin futures ETFs. And so what happens then? Does the SEC go back and review the product again? Do you immediately get the green light? Yep. So it would result in them no longer being able to deny a spot Bitcoin ETF on this basis. I'm not aware of any other justification that could be cited. And so my understanding is that, yes, we then would be able to go back and have our 19 before, you know, be approved. But that process in and of itself will involve different steps. So right now we're really just focused on working with the appellate court, drafting our brief and believe that they'll be able to agree with us on our very you know, straightforward arguments around futures and spot being treated the same in the context of Bitcoin TFs. Right. I guess what I'm trying to understand is, does this put us in a position where you'll have to refile and it'll be another 240 days? Or is this the sort of thing where, you know, you sort of get to pass go a little bit earlier? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because there is this whole process with the 1984 and the 240 day review period. Right now, since we filed a petition for review on our existing 19B4, that should be the 19B4 under which we're able to be approved. And I don't believe we should have to go through another 240-day review period, but it really would depend on the ultimate posture of the court and, and what that decision looks like 
if it is one in which we're prevailing. And if you do prevail, is it possible that the SEC finds another reason to deny people on? I suppose anything is possible, but it's difficult for me to see what that new reasoning would be. You know, I was talking before about back in 2013 when we had the first Bitcoin TF application, there were a lot of reasons why the U.S. markets were not ready for a spot Bitcoin TF. Custody back then was a problem that had not yet been solved. You had institutional crypto asset managers holding millions to hundreds of millions of client assets on their own self-custodied hardware device, just doing that internally, keeping something like a, you know, a ledger or a Trezor or one of these other devices just in a vault somewhere. We've come a long way beyond that over the years. And you now have institutional custodians. In Grayscale's case, we use Coinbase Custody Trust Company as the custodian for all of our products. They're a New York bank. They have security at the protocol level, at the institutional level. They're subject to regulation. They have insurance. So you have custodians in crypto that look and feel just like any other custodian in traditional finance. Once we're okay with the underlying spot Bitcoin markets, which we believe we are, given the fact that we do have Bitcoin futures today, it's really difficult for me to see another reason why we shouldn't be allowed to have spot Bitcoin ETFs here in the U.S. Another reason is, you know, while the U.S. has not been okay with spot Bitcoin ETFs, the rest of the world is moving past us in Canada, in Germany, in Australia, Brazil, other parts of Europe. You have not only spot Bitcoin ETFs, but other crypto ETFs, Ethereum, Solana, some of the other digital assets out there. And these are jurisdictions that have robust securities laws, just like the U.S., those products are trading quite well, close to their NAV with all the other institutional market participants that would be supporting products like GBTC as an ETF. And I know it's probably not, not nice to think about at this stage, but say the court doesn't go your way. What's the recourse then? What happens next? Right now, we're laser focused on drafting our brief that we'll be submitting to the court. And it's a very straightforward and compelling argument. You know, a couple of months ago, when we were still in the common letter process, but seeing other spot Bitcoin ETF issuers be denied, we started to think that a denial you know, was potentially coming our way as well. And Davis Polk was really instrumental in crafting this legal argument that we now have under the Administrative Procedure Act and the Exchange Act. But we want to make sure that we were really putting the full research of the firm behind this and had the best and brightest legal minds supporting us. And so over the course of interviewing several different law firms, we ultimately engaged Don Verrilli and his firm Munger, Tolls & Olson. Don Verrilli is the former Solicitor General under the Obama administration. I think a lot of folks don't know what a Solicitor General is. In the U.S. legal system, you have an attorney general who is the one that does the initial investigation, decides whether to bring a lawsuit against an individual or a company. The solicitor general is the lawyer who represents the U.S. government before the Supreme Court. So if you're going to be involved in litigation with a federal agency, 
who better to have than somebody who's been in that seat representing the U.S. government before the highest level of the court, the Supreme Court. Don Verrilli's you know, legal acumen is completely unmatched. It goes without saying in every single legal circle. He immediately was able to grasp our very straightforward arguments and feels really good about it. So that's what we're focused on right now. We really believe that the appellate court will be able to see our very compelling and straightforward arguments and agree with us. And then also, I think the way the legal system works here, it's also important to know that there's three tiers in federal courts. There's the district level, the appellate level, and the Supreme Court level. Because we're challenging a decision by a federal agency, we bypass that first level, the district level, and go straight to the appellate level. So it's just going to be based on the disapproval order we have and these arguments that we've been presenting. Right. And you already mentioned this brief that you're working on. What are the immediate next steps in the case that people can look out for? Yeah, so always wanting to be as public and transparent as we can with our community. We launched a website last week, which is grayscale.com slash GBTC hyphen lawsuit. What that website does is post all of the court documents that will be filed over the course of the next several months. Right now, there have just been several procedural documents that we filed, which include things like our counsel, the SEC's disapproval order, what our substantive arguments are going to be. There's a couple more procedural things that we filed. And then the next big development will be the filing of our actual brief, which will lay out all of these substantive arguments that we have. So that's a great way for our community and, and others that follow the block to track what's going on in this lawsuit. And we're going to do whatever we can to make sure people are kept abreast of what's going on. I think it's it's really important for the crypto community to understand these things and how it affects them. You know, although a spot Bitcoin ETF is just one issue within crypto where there's a lot of other big issues, I think it's really important because of, of what it would mean for Bitcoin in the crypto space to have this regulated product more accessible within the U.S. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for being here to break all that down for us. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Since this interview took place, a briefing schedule has been set. You can expect Grayscale to submit those arguments in writing at the end of September, and the SEC's response should come about a month later. Keep an eye out for future policy scoop updates and follow me at the block at Ashlyn Keeley to see how it unfolds.